0: Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is also available as a video, so if you'd like to check out myself and Andy in all our, uh, glory, then head over to youtube.com forward slash at Pottywood.
1: This is my dog, Tango. It probably looks like I'm touching my privates. I don't know. Is this, can you see?
0: There there was a brief snout at one point. Well, that's what we're hoping it was, otherwise we're getting cancelled. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Pottywood, the podcast where we talk about movies with the people who make movies. I am one of your co hosts, Steve Hester, and joining me, as always, is.
2: It's Andrew and Roger Carson. My hair is going a bit super. I need to go to the barbers, but I, I styled it in that 1999 go fashion. It's a great film. If you haven't seen it, Steve, which I know you haven't, so it's in the box. Yeah. We have yet another Poddywood Interviews episode. And it's a nice really special did. one, following on from our last episode with Uwe Boll before the break, I might add. Steve's well-deserved and earned break after something like 10 straight weeks of editing and no nights off. Yeah, Sorry, Steve. Incredibly fortunate today to have a person who's become a good friend, but he is also an amazing actor. People who have seen uh, the recent TV show Shades of Blue star Jennifer Lopez and the late, great Ray Liotta. I'll add the great there, Mm we will have seen this actor quite a lot. And there's other films that you would have seen him quite a lot as well. Some which we have even spoken about on previous episodes just recently, Steve.
0: Yes, we have.
2: But for now, all the way from Pittsburgh. It's our first Pittsburgh guest. I think so, yeah. I don't
0: remember anyone else over that side of the country.
2: Yes, (laughs) it is actor
1: Gino Anthony Pessi. How are you, Gino? I'm good. How are you? Hey, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, How are the Penguins doing at the moment? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) See, That's all I can think of that links with Pittsburgh is just the Penguins, and that's it. Completely done.
1: It's it's hilarious. So it's the sport that um, I follow the least. Um, But... uh, (laughs) No. I, I, I actually... You know, I enjoy, when I go to a hockey game, I enjoy a hockey game, but I have no idea, idea who plays for them. I have no idea how they're doing. I don't even know if it was hockey season without you telling me. But the Pirates are doing pretty good, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, yeah. For, you know.
0: It's- is, that, is that football? Oh, Jesus Christ, Steve.
2: You know as much about sport as you do about film. This is absolutely terrible. It's baseball.
0: I don't even know anything about cricket.
2: So, so yeah, currently uh, you are in Pittsburgh. So let, let's kind of start your journey back there in your school education. Did you actually start out for drama and things like that?
1: I liked it as a kid. I mean, I would do the school plays, but I was more focused on. Uh, I didn't think it was a reality just because I was told it wasn't. I was more focused on sports. I, I you know, I played football, baseball and basketball for most of my life. When I was a kid, I mean, I always wanted to act, but we were just, we were just kind of told, you know, being a blue collar kid from Western PA at a time when the internet didn't even exist uh, was, you know, we don't do stuff like that around here. That's not going to happen. Meaning you just have no way. I mean, I, I didn't grow up with connections to the industry or anything like that. Nobody knew anything about filmmaking you couldn't hop on a computer and google how to do this uh so for most of my adolescence it was a dream that i didn't um think i was ever really going to have any support i don't know if you can remember that time i know it's been a while but before the internet existed where the only pictures you had of a different country were from a postcard or something you saw in a Mm. magazine yeah like your imagination ran wild and now we're so desensitized. But that's how it was growing up and thinking about acting for me. I would watch these movies which were larger than life and that I fell in love with and that gave me permission to feel in an area where we don't really talk about our feelings much, you know. Um, And then when I got to high school, it was – it was actually my senior year where I just made the decision. Um, I had transferred high schools at the end of my junior year. And I came across um, this drama class, which I took. And this dra- the, my drama teacher, her name was Juliana Van Arsdale. Um, she saw something in me. And she said, you know, I've been wanting to do this play for the longest time here and she didn't think that she had somebody that could handle it and she said i think you could do this and it was a play by tennessee williams called the glass menagerie and yeah and it was the lead it was tom um and i had no idea i had never heard of tennessee williams at the time i i was completely ignorant to most of theater uh real theater and I had no idea what I was getting into. My mom didn't quite think I was serious about acting. So I, cause I sat her down one day and I said, Hey, I know what I want to do. And she goes, okay, what are you going to, what are you going to go to school for? And I said, I'm going to be an actor. And, and I had like, I had like peppered this throughout the years, but they were like, all right, just think of a real profession. You're not going to be an actor. <laughs> and so finally I said, said this to her, I said, you know, I'm going to be an actor. And she, and her, her reaction was, oh my God, Gina. (laughs) And that was her first like knee jerk gut reaction as in like, you're going to give me a heart attack. Like you're never going to be able to survive. You're not going to be able to make a living. um, Understandably. Uh, But then she went to see the play. And so I earned the support of mom at that point.
0: Oh, you said that you had the, like movies which used to reach out and talk to you what what kind of things were they that that were ticking those boxes at an
1: early age so for me it's probably the most nostalgic movie if i i'd I'd be six years old and i'd be in front of my grandmother's um, tv and i'd be putting goonies in i just always wanted to go on an adventure And they looked like they were having so much fun. And at that time, at that age, I don't think I could really articulate or identify what it was that I loved about movies. I just knew I wanted to do it. And then later, reflecting, like now, I think it was just because of how it made me feel. Watching a bunch of people commit to something, you know, behave truthfully under imaginary circumstances, watching private moments made public. And if I could, you know, it's hopefully one day make a project that, or be a part of a project that, that makes somebody feel something like that, or to, to affect somebody in that way. That's a beautiful thing.
0: That's yeah. the dream. It is.
2: it is. Yeah, we've all, we've all felt the same way. Mm-hmm. So, so the Goonies. It's a good choice. Mark Marshall Marshall. would be glad to hear that. Yeah, Shout out to Mark who worked on The Goonies, was on our episode. I think we've got so many stories behind that. So
1: uh, that's that's
2: an episode you should track down. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in looking here through uh, your credits, uh, did you do kind of theatre and stuff like that? Did you take to the stage in your early years?
1: I did. Um, I... I love theater. I mean, I would go back and do theater for sure. I, I don't know how people do it for, like the same role for two years, or, you know, even a year seems like a long time. Yeah, I went to school for theater. Um, I started out even when I was out in L.A. I was doing theater for free, and then I got a couple professional jobs. um, Originated two roles, one and they were both in Catherine Butterfield plays. Um one was at uh one was at Arkansas rep and it was called The Sleeper and and one was at the Laguna Playhouse premiered and um it was called Brownstone. I did I did originate two roles on stage which was kind of cool and also quite difficult because there's no precedent for it. Um Yeah. But it was uh I'm grateful for those experiences. I'm grateful grateful for every experience, really. You know, whether it was labeled as positive or negative, um, I have gratitude for all of it, for sure.
2: Well, I've got down here your first appearance in a movie. Uh, You follow a trend with a lot of our actors that we have on that among their first credited roles uh, is usually under cop number two. (laughs) So you played cop number two. In a 2002 movie called Minimal Knowledge.
0: Actually, I I want to make things very, very clear. According to IMDb, it's police officer number two. Is it? Thank you. Let's give it the correct title. Come on.
2: Really? I read it as cop number two somewhere. Or maybe I was getting that mixed up with Tommy Hinkley or John Ashton, (laughs) who both starred as cop number two in their first on-screen roles.
1: I was probably grateful I even got a credit for that, because I didn't even have a line
2: just an extra with movement
1: basically uh so my my college roommate he he was friends with a a guy named dave choner who produced minimal knowledge uh who was also you know worked for the new jersey film commission but he was dave dave and his partner gregory corrado his uh um, business partner they were producing some low budget movies and stuff and trying to get some stuff off the ground. And I remember uh, he was talking about minimal knowledge and he would, he would tell, you know, as friends do, they you know try to get each other in each other's projects. And he had me meet Dave once. And Dave was like, yeah, have him come out and we'll, we'll put him, we'll put him in it. He can be an extra or whatever. That was like a big deal to me too. I'm just super grateful to be on a film set and, uh, I remember hanging out, like when I would find out that movies would be filming in my home, hotel, hometown, I would hop on my bike, drive up to wherever the set was, and I'd be hanging out on the other side of the tape, the caution tape, you know, don't don't go through here. And then I would try to sneak past it, of course. I remember one night or, or one day they were filming uh, the movie Diabolik. It had like uh, Sharon Stone and... I think Isabella Johnny. I don't know if I'm saying her
2: name. Yeah, Chas Yeah.
1: I don't even know if I ever saw the movie. I just know that I hopped on my bike, drove across a bridge, which I was not allowed to do, um, and then snuck on to the house that they were – and I'm sitting there in craft service. I'm not supposed to be there. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just there. And I still remember the scenes where this woman comes out of the house and she's going, Bijou, Bijou. And she's calling for a dog. And this is the scene that I snuck onto the set of Diabolique for. But that's the kind of stuff I'd be so excited just to be around film, filmmaking. You know, it was just such a big deal at that time. Now, at the time of minimal knowledge, you got to figure like, if digital filmmaking was coming out, it was just coming out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it looked bad. Uh, I'm not even sure. Because we, for, for all I know, minimal knowledge could have been shot on 35 millimeter, I'd have to look up the specs. But I mean, at that time, it was so hard to make a low budget movie look good still. Because yeah. if you, when you were, you know what I mean? Because the technology wasn't there yet for digital film because I remember they were saying there was something called the magic bullet at that time. So they were making movies and they might've did this with minimal knowledge where they made the movie and then they supposedly put the magic bullet on it and it's supposed to look like film and it doesn't. And
0: no, no, it it, it took quite a while for them to reach that level where it didn't look like it had just gone through uh, a render machine or anything, did it? And it's only just started to look, kind of normal now. Although, to be fair, though, that might just be because we're used to about the last 20-odd years of uh, yeah. digital films coming out. Very true.
1: Or they they found a way to make digital film in a way that, you know, it's, there, it's the new norm now, and the technology is advanced. It's got, like, a very cool look. But, uh, you know, I have these conversations with people sometimes. I mean, sometimes I still just prefer that film grain.
2: Um, yeah. I, I prefer my films right up until... 1985, when it when it had that, 1985 and everything before it looked like really great and like film, and then sometime
0: in the mid eighties, it was like these yeah, films are looking a bit too polished now. Jerry Bruckheimer and everything was then had all that kind of that that like crushed look to it, like yes. that crushed yes. silver Blue for look. for the
2: night, orange for the day. Yeah. Follow that format of- forever, no matter who you are. Yes, that's the Simpson yeah. Brookheimer away. But now at least we know for the infamous diabolique story, <laughs> Bill Daly can finally get to rest knowing who stole those sandwiches from that budget. <laughs> <laughs> he can actually sleep well now. Also, around this time, shortly after uh, Minimal Knowledge, uh, you team up with a guy called Doug Bass. Doug Bass.
1: He was my roommate for part of the time in L.A., and I was the best man at his wedding.
2: Oh, well, perfect. Hi, Doug. Uh, You guys make a movie called Complex together, so you co-direct it and co-star in it. (laughs) God, give your memories. You're digging them out here, Gino.
1: (laughs) Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah, you do. This was not a movie, though. This was an independent uh, TV pilot that we were we were trying to make. And if I have to say, I stand by this concept. Maybe perhaps not the execution, but I stand by this concept. And it was all right, it was the type of role that I always loved to play, which I, you know, the lovable asshole. It's like the the Vince Vaughn um type of wedding crasher's type of role, yeah. you know. You know, the one that was always girl crazy and the instigator and the fast talking guy. I liked those kinds of roles and Doug and I actually worked well together in that, you know, in the Abbott and Costello way where, you know, one is, you know, the, the straight guy to the, mm-hmm. the fast talking whatever. Uh, and I got to be that idiot, the jerk with the, with the heart of gold at the end of the day. Um, I liked that kind of character and I got to do it, you know, with my friends. Um, I wish that, you know, in a perfect world, we had the resources that people have nowadays. Like at that time, you have to figure, I mean, I was what, 22, 23. Uh, once again, that's 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. we don't have that. We don't like, like to make something look good at that time. I think we were shooting on, some kind of Canon or Sony, I don't know, early, we're, we're talking about the early aughts here. So yeah. who knows what we were filming on, you know, not knowing what we're doing. And now everything is so forgiving. I mean, like you could get a Canon 5D Mark 4 uh, for $2,000, around $3,000, get a couple of lenses. You got a whole package for, you know, four grand and you can, You can do a lot with just like a Canon 5D Uh, Mm. and make something look amazing. You and your friends could get together, write a script, film a whole movie, and it could actually look great. You're not beholden to anybody else. I mean, if I had the same energy that I had when I was like in my early 20s. And thinking about wrangling my friends together and being like, let's shoot this. Let's shoot this. Because we were never short on ideas. We were always hungry. I'm sleeping on floors. I'm doing whatever it takes. I don't care. I I remember three of us were living in a one-bedroom apartment. I was sleeping in the living room on what we called, you're going to have to bleep this out, Steve, but it was called a flippin' fuck. It was one of these styrofoam couches. And and we would roll it out. And I'm sleeping on the floor. In college you called it a flip flipping fuck. I mean I did a lot of flipping, not a lot of fucking. But it was
0: you know. Sorry, I was gonna say you're absolutely right. I mean the big famous story recently, and I know he's got an awful lot of industry clout behind it, but Steven Soderbergh shot an entire right. film on just an iPhone. And you know, it just goes to prove you've got you've got that technology right there in your pocket.
2: Yeah, you're all going yes. to be jobless from AI soon enough. You'll have me enough time on know. your hands. Go make a movie.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I was just I was just telling this uh, this kid the other day at the gym who wants to write, and he's all bummed out about this AI. And I said, Hey, you're preaching to the choir. I feel the same way about it. I said, But I don't know what to tell you, other than go make stuff now. The amount of time we're standing here complaining about it. What if you put all that energy and effort into just making something that you love. Do what you love while you have the chance to do it.
2: Yeah. yeah. Amen. After Complex, you, you started getting uh, kind of more noticeable roles here. I'm going to point to the year 2007, which was the year where Gino really kind of stepped up a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't know I uh, wasn't watching anything in 2007. <laughs> oh, yes. 2007. You've never seen anything <laughs> from that year. i it's, I'm still waiting to find one movie from that year you've seen. Something was going on that year. Um, in 2007, starting off, uh, you do the movie Game of Life with the cast of Tom Sizemore, the late Tom Sizemore, how about that? Uh, Tom Arnold, still with us, Beverly D'Angelo, still with us, and Heather Locklear, the eternally young-looking Heather Locklear. I haven't seen her recently, but the last time I saw her, she looked completely 1983. Uh, So not only did you do this, you also did Loveless in Los Angeles and another movie called X's and O's. I'm
1: just laughing because it's it's just, I don't know. I haven't thought about these movies in quite some time, but it was um, Game of Life was a drama. I never saw it. I don't even know where you can find it. Um, I remember being in, I think what it was, was, I, it was either a flashback or an opening scene. I don't know, but it was with Tom Sizemore. And that was it. That's was all I remember. Loveless in Los Angeles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> was this the one you were telling me about earlier?
1: No, no, it's not. <laughs> but I played such a douchebag in it, who a guy that was obsessed with his hair, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so stupid but (laughs) (laughs) probably undeniably awful in it um but i remember britney i think britney daniel was in it and a couple of my scenes were with her and like you know there's that one scene where you're that uh cliche kind of you're going to miniature do the miniature golfing scene and you like sidle up behind you know the female, let me show you how to do it, you know, kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I just remember this moment because I I remember this overhead shot or something and my, like, as I get up behind her, like my head goes back like, oh, and it was like this strange shot. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) it just looks so (laughs) awful. But then I get tossed into a creek. Um, (laughs) Shortly after that, some guy comes running out of the bushes. I believe it was played by Dash Miok. And he pushes me into a Creek or whatever miniature golf river. And I emerge from it and I'm like my hair. And, and so <laughs> this, is, this is what I did. Yeah. Um, and then in X's and O's, the director was a guy named Kedar cord. Uh, Clayne Crawford played the lead who went on, you might remember him for reprising the, um, Mel Gibson character in Lethal Weapon, but in the TV show. Um, Mm -hmm. Warren Christie, who went on to have a nice uh, career as well. He played, I think, like what I would consider like the lovable asshole in that. uh, He's a great actor, too. Um, But I just had like kind of a bit role in that movie. And I played this guy who was like a former football player, you know, another douchebag. And he comes in and he's, he's walking. I remember there was a scene in the kitchen where I'm walking around with like a magazine of myself and just handing out autographs. <laughs> 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 but like, the, but like I was, I got drafted in like the last round of the draft or something. And I'm like, yeah, got drafted. And then I got cut and but I'm telling everybody I'll be back on the field one day. And <laughs> handing everybody out autographs. Just stupid shit. But those were fun little roles and like silly. I mean, like I said, I'm god awful in them, but you know.
2: Uh, at the end of the day, it makes you laugh about them now. And that's the great thing about it. You know, you've got, real. you know, fun memories about them. And, and trust me, me and Steve have had some acting roles that we look back now and think, yay. Yeah. It's called Gridiron USA, I believe. Okay. Or Just... Gridiron
0: UK, whatever it's called. <laughs> you
2: look, look, you see? And you like, and you can no. see the clip of Steve starring in it right here. <laughs> there you go. The
0: Steve. problem that I've got with that is is, and we will get back to our guest in a minute. I promise you. No, um,
1: this is so much more interesting to me. The, the problem
0: <laughs> is, is that because it was set in the eighties, I arrived and I've got kind of a similar beard today it's not quite as styled and uh and i walk in there and the director's just like "Mm, we're gonna have to do something about that beard it's like okay yeah fine i'll shave it off Uh, i'm just gonna go out to the shop and buy a razor so i went to the shop came back and just as i'm about to go right keep the mustache (laughs) no no because because i look all right with a beard with just a mustache. I look like I belong on some sort of register <laughs> i I look like I should be kept at least half a mile away from schools.
1: amazing it, so does, you- it
0: does not suit me at all.
1: did he make you keep it for the film for the film? yeah i gotta see this <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. gotta, just for that i gotta i gotta see your Steve Hester in a white van look. Funnily enough, the American
0: football outfit I was wearing was white. But
1: no, (laughs) to be honest,
2: it it was good because you were in it and a bunch of other actors that we know. Um, So it it was entertaining for what it was. You know, it's it's about a a UK. Well, people can just mind it it as long as I'm not even going to promote it. No, I'm not even
1: going to promote it. He was rude to me. Anyway, so uh, also. we got plenty more time to, for for Steve to build a, more of a filmography. I, I see I see many more in your future.
2: You will, definitely. With a mustache. See, smoldering. Yeah. Mm. yeah. We, we push and push. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, okay, we've got to move on to now. I mentioned this film to you earlier on, and you burst out laughing at me down the phone. So I knew for a fact this was going to be something to bring up. Uh you take the role of cheesy guy in the hottie and the naughty.
1: Fuck you, Steve.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, suddenly me and my mustache is laudable.
1: (laughs) I did. I took the role of cheesy guy in the Paris Hilton vehicle. Hottie and the naughty. Which I
2: will say, the English poster here in the UK says the number one film, and then in tiny writing underneath it at IMDb's bottom 100. <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen a poster like it in my life. Oh, that's genius. And I have actually seen this. Do you know what the funny thing about it is? I actually Not went really. on IMDb. To, there's nothing funny about it, I know. But mm. um, I went onto the IMDb, and you know they have the trailer at the top uh, when you go on it on yeah. the mobile version. The first thing that pops up is you (laughs) as the cheesy guy as soon as someone logs on to the Hottie and the Naughty page.
1: Why do you got to tell me that? And why do you got to give that... See, you just... I thought we were going to be friends.
2: (laughs) That's what good friends do.
0: (laughs) Where are we? Here we go. Hottie and the Naughty. Oh, yes, (laughs) there you go. And it's before it's even... Before he's even kind of played, look there we go. Oh. <laughs> there he is.
1: <laughs> the hair, the hair. What is with? The... Oh, it was supposed to be that the character had hair plugs too at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, could we have given him good hair plugs? But um, so awful. I remember I out for cheesy guy, and I remember they give me this role, and they were like, you know, rather than. <laughs> Rather than cast this other part, why don't we just combine these two roles? And it, and I remember part of the role on this, you said you saw it? Yes. Okay. Do you remember the part where there was a sailor or a captain of a ship that comes running on and he's like, ahoy?
2: Yes. That was me too. You're joking me. I not- never even picked up on that
1: yeah I don't think anybody would have so they were like <laughs> why don't we just make him this guy too that the, that the guy with the hair plugs at the thing also happens to be the captain of the ship so I come <laughs> running around and I'm like sorry I'm ah- ahoy and I am running on this ship and then I see I, what is it the naughty and I, I see the naughty uh, and, and I'm like oh suddenly I'm not feeling so well and then I like <laughs> take off. I mean, it's so... I'm so horrific in was these movies. Was that a decision
0: that took place on the day, or was that something that you found out, like, about a week or so before you were filming? When did that happen?
1: I don't really recall. I think it was It was definitely not the same day. It might have been a day or two before. It It really was not, like, a long... Like, I did not know when I signed on to it that I was also going to be sailor guy. And... And I was just like, okay, I got more to do. You know, <laughs> like, it didn't really make sense to me. But I was like, cool.
2: You know what the great thing is now? Is Steve sometimes used the same clips. And I can guarantee you from now on, we are going to have you running on going, oh, <laughs> for, for a clip. But, you know what? No.
1: I, I feel like I just made Steve feel better about himself <laughs> and about his life and career. He's like... He's like, you know, now I don't I don't feel so bad about that filmography. It could have been worse. I yeah. could have had You filmography.
2: know, every single you know, guest I, we have I had don't on. Have
0: success or money or influence <laughs> or power <laughs> or or anything which I can laud it, but at least I didn't run on going ahoy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's it's kind of lucky cuz around that same time you are still keeping um, a healthy film career that's growing. You appear in a movie that I remember called Takers, which around a cast that included Paul Walker, Matt Dillon, uh, Zoe Saldana, Idris Elba, you know, a real who's who. And I believe the, mm-hmm. the main thing around it was, you know, it was Chris Brown's first movie. I think that's really the selling point that they put on it.
1: Yeah. T.I. was in it too. Uh, yeah. Hay- Hayden Christensen. It was a cool movie to be a part of. And I don't like much of what I do. I, I usually feel like I've I've fallen short of my own standards. And I remember there was a moment where I was like, oh, I really like this moment. It's authentic. It's believable. It was a, you know, whatever. And we get into post and I remember in ADR, they're like, we're going to dub this moment. And I was like, I remember being in the ADR room and I'm like, what? Why? and they're like yeah we just want to dub it and so they wanted me to recreate this moment where i'm on the floor and paul walker is uh sticking a gun in my mouth or or on my head i can't remember where it was but and there's this part of me where i'm i'm way better about this now like i don't have any qualms about dubbing anything uh But I was like, how can I recreate this? That was like a good authentic moment. It was a it was a it was an effective, truthful moment. And the one part of it I liked they were gonna, they were gonna dub it was gonna be now I'm gonna make it inauthentic. And it was a frustrating moment in the ADR room, where I couldn't get over the fact because I couldn't hear when they played it to me, I was like, what is wrong with this? I was like, it's, it's real, it's gritty. It's like, I was like, "What are we doing here? Like, why are we why are we dubbing this instead of just shutting up and dubbing it?" You know, you know God bless him because he was such a nice guy, um, John, the director. And he goes, and and he saw that I was like unhappy about it. He goes, and so he goes, "Here, let's recreate it." He goes, "Lay down on the floor." And so I lay down on the floor, and he stands over me like this. <laughs> he literally, went, he 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 literally went as far to do that for me because I was so like but I liked what I did. (laughs) And so (laughs) he did do that. And he was so nice about it and so kind about it. And I was so just not, I was just so young and new
2: if that makes any
1: sense still. Well,
2: the good thing is, I mean, it didn't halt your ascension because uh, following that, and uh, this is something I've got to talk on. and, And this is something we have, spoke on uh, quite a few episodes back. You appear as uh, Nick Stavro in Battle Los Angeles.
1: I do. I had a mustache, Steve. <laughs> well, it was a <laughs> to horrible be honest. Mustache. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs>
2: horrible month. M- uh, Mustaches are no good.
1: Horrible mustache. It was a horrible mustache.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've actually got a bit of love for Battle Los Angeles. And Ooh, I think the main thing is, I mean, I was, uh, I was, I was doing my master's degree at the time in film, in film production. So I was going to see every kind of movie possible. And I went to see this and I thought, okay, this has got a very Black Hawk down versus mm. aliens style feel to it. And I was actually surprised when I saw it because I, I didn't read too much into it. I went to see it blind. I didn't read any reviews. And I, enjoyed it how about you
1: uh i loved that trailer the one where the the sun goes down trailer yeah uh, with, with that creepy song it was actually one of my favorite trailers ever i i thought it was a great trailer uh my experience in this so many ups and downs on this movie so i'll just give you the timeline I go through a stretch where I wasn't doing so well. I remember going through a breakup. And for me, uh, at that time, it was a really big deal. I mean, like I've, I I wear my heart on my sleeve. I feel a lot. And one thing that's really hard for me to do is get over heartbreak, uh, ro- romantic love. And I was not in a good place. Uh, I, I remember I hadn't worked. It was a lot of months. It might have been like, might have been like seven or eight months. And like some of my side jobs, I was just so miserable. One of my jobs was I was working in a tanning salon. Uh, I was bartending. Um, and and by this point, it wasn't my fun years of bartending. It was my later years of bartending bartending where I was like this angry bartender. I didn't want to be there. I was not happy to serve drinks. I was not doing well. And to top it all off, I had just gone through a breakup with someone. And it like felt like it felt like the end of the world. It really did. And so I was depressed for many, 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 many months. Like I was paycheck to paycheck, clearly, uh, working three different jobs, seven days a week. And I get this script that comes in and it was this random straight offer. And my agents call and they're like, Hey, Gino, this casting director, blah, blah, blah. Um, remembered you from this and they think you'd be perfect for this role and they're giving you a straight offer for it it shoots in florida blah 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 blah, whatever and i'm like great i'll take it and they're like oh yeah ha 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 yeah we're we're excited to You go home and read it you know um first so i go home i rush home i read it there was nothing gratuitous in this nothing against my morals nothing like that it was just I I did not think it was good at all. I thought, I I was not passionate about it. And I'm being kind in saying that. I just made this decision. I was like, I remember I was reading this self-help book at the time. I can't even tell you which one it was. And it was something about how I was making decisions. And are you making a love-based decision or a fear-based decision? And I started asking myself, if I was not Afraid or desperate. If I took fear or desperation out of the equation, would I do this movie? And the truth was, the answer was no. I wouldn't. And if I was a, if I was directing that project, I wouldn't want somebody coming onto my project that felt that my project was shit. That there's some there was an actor out mm-hmm. there that would have been so gracious and passionate and excited to do that role. So I picked up the phone. Because I couldn't tell you how badly I wanted those two hours of my life back after reading the script. And I pick pick up the phone and I called my agent manager. I said, I I can't do this. And he said, Gino, you're going to upset the casting director. You're going to upset this, blah, 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 blah. Uh, You haven't worked. And I go, I know. I was like, I just, I guess there is something pure about this that I want to keep pure. And so I guess I'd rather go work at the tanning salon than do this. And it was a choice I made in that moment. Uh, and sure enough, the casting director said they wouldn't hire me again. I, I don't know why. I guess I, I guess I'm not allowed to turn down a role. Um, but at the time my my agent was disappointed, not like terribly upset with me, but like disappointed. and I just kind of trusted that everything will work out for some reason. About a week later, I get a job writing. I was also a writer. I don't know if you know this, but you know, in my younger years I was writing like a lot of romantic comedies, a couple that got option for production, uh, nothing that ever got made. And this production company liked my writing, but they were doing primarily infomercials. So they it was called Raymond Entertainment at the time. I don't know I don't know what it's called now, but they um hired me to start writing some of their infomercials and possibly develop unscripted stuff. And they were paying me well for a couple weeks to do this. And I was like, wow, this writing job. Now I'm doing something that I somewhat actually enjoy. I don't have to go back to the tanning salon, you know, kind of of a thing. (laughs) So I'm doing this. And then I get this audition for Battle Los Angeles, and from what I hear, they can't find this guy, Stabra. Uh And at the time, this was a movie in town. I remember my manager telling me everybody wants this movie. Now, I was releasing this fear and desperation thing. I was just letting it go. I wasn't operating with that. So I started doing things that I would never normally do in an audition. So I read the script. I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, it looks like a fun role. And so I just shaved my head for it, something you don't do for an audition. Typically. So I shave my head for this audition. I walk in and you know, there's normally a, this is a big studio movie. It's a $70 million budget. So usually there's a process and you're testing for these and you know, whatever. So I go in one audition and I just have fun with it. And I just do my thing. Uh, Debbie Zane was a casting director and I leave. She puts me on tape. That was it. So I go back to my job. I don't think about it again and I don't ask about it. Nothing. And I'm going back and I'm typing this infomercial for this, like, I don't know, aerobic step thing. And <laughs> and I just get this ping and I see I have an email and it just says offer for Gino. And I I open it and it was more money than I had ever seen in my life. You know, it was a basic standard contract, but I you know, I grew up pretty humbly, small town. I never had more than four figures in my bank account at one time. Like if you can just imagine that. And I just remember, I just sat there and I looked at it and it was, they were offering me the role. And I just, it was like in a movie, like where there was just like a, like, I just started crying and I was like, how did I do this? How did I get this job? I just had one audition. I just had fun. There was no pressure. That wasn't even the final amount because agents go back and they do their thing. I was like, I- I'm fine with this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Don't, don't scare him off, please. That's exactly what I was saying. I was like, don't scare him <laughs> off. And I was like, do not lose this job for me. Um, but they got me a great deal for my first big movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of people auditioned for this role. And Doug Belgrad, who was really high up at Columbia at the time. I don't, I'm not sure what, what he's doing now or where he's at now. But at the time, he was, they were like, yeah, here's who we're thinking. And he goes, that's the guy. And this was the story that was told to me by everybody. And I got a chance to thank him at a dinner, um, a cast and you know producer dinner. And everybody kept saying, that's the guy. That's the guy that said, that's the guy. He's probably forgotten me, but I'll never forget him. And, uh, and that was the start of, you know, what I thought was going to be a really, you know, leaping off point. Uh, I thought everything was just going to happen from there. It wasn't that easy, but and it wasn't easy at all. But it was a great moment. And for this, you know, small town kid to get to do this big budget studio movie to get to do essentially what that six year old who was watching Goonies uh, wanted to do. And I mean, I will just never forget that moment and I'll never forget the, the moments leading up to it, the weeks leading up to it and the choices that I was making on a spiritual level and why I was making those decisions, why I was making those choices and what they were motivated by
2: that uh, you're always saying about, you know, you always wanted that adventure with the Goonies. What I can draw as a parable here is uh, the cast of the Goonies from that movie have remained solid friends to this day because of the adventure of making that film. Mm-hmm. You have remained solid friends with all of the people who were in your group of actors from Battle Los Angeles. So in a way, you... you fully achieved full circle what you wanted as a child from that one movie
0: and you got to blow the shit out of aliens i
1: i i got to hold the biggest gun um but yeah uh, many of us are i mean we have this there was this there was a bond you know like we're not like like i said some of us will, will go years without talking but there was a bond that happened in that movie. You have to understand it was also a six month process we had a We had i think three weeks or a month of actor boot camp marine yeah. boot camp, and then there was five and a half months of actual principal photography and that's a lot of time to bond with people and I think that i you know i I know I could at least speak you know confidently that a few of them also feel the same way that there's a place in our hearts for each other some of the things that we experienced on the movie uh the trials the tribulations you know for sure i remember after boot camp it was really shortly afterwards i remember feeling like i was in good shape like at, like after boot because i mean it was you're talking about 120 degrees and humidity down in louisiana mm. and um it was it was brutal during those summer months of it, it was August when we were doing that—the boot camp when we started—and I, uh, or July and August, so it was like br- really hot and really brutal in like Shreveport and near outside of New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Um, shortly after starting principal photography, after going through this boot camp, I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling like I'm in good shape. I'm excited. And during this one bit, uh, I go flying around the corner. And I remember I was going to have this moment. I was so excited about this moment I was going to have. And you got to remember, I got 120 pounds of gear essentially on my back. I got a 45-pound weapon. And I'm full sprinting towards this helicopter. And I slip. And I roll my ankle. And it's bad, mm. really bad. Now, I'm a, I'm a week and a half into shooting. We got five months left. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to lose this movie. They're going to recast me. We've barely shot anything. This was bad, okay? So they had to redo that part where I lose my moment. So, so it gets given to somebody else. And I'm like, fuck, I'm like, I'm like, I really liked that part. I had something planned and blah, I don't get to do any of that. And then I remember looking at Jonathan Liebesman. And I remember I'm laying there and he's looking at it and he's, he's looking concerned. And I'm like, I just look at him. I go, don't fire me. I'm like, please don't fire me. I remember saying this. I was like, I need this movie. Please don't fire me. I was so upset upset and scared they were going to replace me at that, t- that time. I also didn't want to be a problem on set, rolled my ankle. I was going full out, fully committed and shit happens. And I remember this wasn't the end of it. So they hire this guy his name was Mike Morgan, um, physical therapist. And he comes on set one day and he tries to like mend up my ankle quickly. And I'm like telling him, I'm like, I'm like how bad is this? And he's like, no, oh, that's pretty bad. He tapes it up. Within three days, we have to shoot this scene. By the way, scene is not even in the movie. We have to shoot this scene where we're sprinting up 50-foot sand dunes for like eight hours straight. Mm-hmm. So I got this taped up ankle. It's bad. And we're sprinting up these sand dunes. And at the end of the eight hours, disc in my back, my lower back, just pops. I- my legs go out (laughs) and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) Now this, I can't even stand up. I need you to understand, like I could not stand up. They send me to a neurosurgeon because that's who does back surgery. And they're like, you need surgery. You need surgery. You need a, I can't remember what, what it's called. I always forget the name of this, but you either need to do this or fusion or something, but you need to do something here. One of these three options. And I was like, and what's the recovery on this? I was like, when could I be back? And they're like, oh, you know, like several months. And I go, no, you can't. I was like, there has to be another option. They're like, there is no other option. They're like, I can give you some painkillers. I go, great, give me painkillers. They shot me with an epidural. They gave me, it was the only time in my life I have ever taken painkillers. I can barely stand. They had to work around my ailment for the rest of this movie. The whole time I'm, I can, like I can't work out, I can't do anything, I can barely walk, and I just feel like a burden. I just felt like I can't really do my job. Fortunately, I was sitting on a bus for part of this movie, driving it. But um but that was kind of a bummer. I got to tell you, like that wasn't that wasn't the way I wanted to spend my time on that movie and I'm sure if you're a producer that's really not the experience you want out of your actor, you know, is to have this liability. That's not the way and, and, and every person you know they'll all say what they're supposed to say you're not a burden you're not a liability and behind the scenes you know you are
0: mm.
1: you know what I'm mm. saying so that part was not um, not the greatest for me
2: I mean the the good news is you know it is a memorable movie it's great the the, mm-hmm. the trailer especially was a, a a raging success. Everyone was crazy about that trailer when it came out. And, and to be honest, I I enjoy the movie. Uh, I still watch it now. Whenever it's on, I will stop and watch it. You know, and that's a good thing. And thankfully, your career did not come at an end with that. So it did set the <laughs> stage. You did more and more TV. So you appear on the client list. Uh, you appear in Hawaii Five O.
1: Of course. <laughs> I
2: was waiting for that. Uh, the Mentalist which we seem to have had quite a few people who've appeared on The Mentalist yeah, on this show Yeah, a few recently. of them, yeah. And, of course, Fandom Beware, Screaming Girls Unite. You appear in The Vampire Diaries as the character Maddox.
1: My mom tried to watch... She's like, I can't watch this. She couldn't get through an episode of The Vampire Diaries. <laughs> 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 she couldn't. Uh, it's it's crazy. Some of these things that are just massive successes and massive hits, um, but it has it has such a cult following. It had such. It was so massively successful for all those people. But I could not watch an episode of it either. Like I, it it was so slow for me. It was so slow, and I was not interested. Um, and I'm, and I think vampires are pretty interesting, and and you know warlocks and uh, werewolves, all that stuff. I think it's all very interesting. But I was not, uh, as an audience member, it was not my thing. No,
2: it was just a spilling off of the whole Twilight craze. So you had that, and what was the other one? True Blood. Yep. So they Hot were pain. like competing shows, you know.
0: And,
1: and they launched. Now that on one was a of,
0: fun. That was HBO, wasn't it? Yeah, you could tell it was HBO because everyone was naked. (laughs) But uh,
2: one of my favorite turns come, and this is another one that we only just discussed a few weeks ago. Yes, forty-two. You are playing the role of Joe Garagoila. Garagoyla. and now you're playing a real life person, and the thing is. The real-life person was still alive around this time. Did you actually get to meet this person and, and do research on the character? No.
1: I did research on the character, but I didn't get to meet Joe Garagiola, and the whole sequence was cut out of the movie. So I worked on that movie for two and a half months. I think I'm in it for two seconds. Um, the whole Cardinal sequence, so like my buddy who played uh, Stan Musial, the whole the whole sequence involving the Cardinals just got snipped. So that happens. I mean, you were just talking to me about your friend who who off off often ended up on the cutting room floor. You just never know yeah. um yeah, I didn't know until I went to see the premiere of it, so I was like, "Oh, I'm not in the movie."
2: <laughs> That's disheartening. and the same director as Jonathan is it Jonathan Hensley did that movie? No, it wasn't no
1: was because... um. His his name is a really nice guy. Um,
0: it's an unusual name.
1: No, <laughs> not unusual. It's Just Brian. Brian, come on. Oh, Brian Helgeland. Yes, thank you.
0: It was Brian yeah. Helgeland. <laughs> now you see when I do the editing, it makes me look good.
1: dynamite, yeah, dropping Steve. <laughs>
2: You basically came (laughs) in there like a hype brother.
1: (laughs) What is it? That that broadcasting school is really paying off. Obviously from there, uh, you start getting recurring roles
2: on shows from here on in. So you appear in the, I guess it was cast as the reboot of Dallas. Yes. You played, why the fuck am I giving these names? I'm English, I can't say. George
1: Tatangelo? No, George Tatangelo. George Tatangelo. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was CIA, I think, in that. I think. <laughs> it's been a minute. Um, uh, that was a few yeah, letters? Yeah, I like uh So Michael Robin um, produced that and also produced uh, the, the Closer. Yes. Uh, and he was one of the most – one of my favorite people to work for, actually, uh, was just – just so kind and um, supportive He's supportive of his actors. And that company actually makes a point. You could be like a day player. You could be a guest star, you know, one-off guest star and they'll send you a little note in the mail saying, thanks for being part of our show. Your episode airs on this day, blah, 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 blah. Nobody ever does that. Nobody ever does anything like that. It was just a nice little gesture that their company does. And uh, yeah, so I did. I, I was on that Dallas reboot for, um, uh, for uh, for about seven episodes, I think.
2: Straight from Dallas. I mean, there was a, a couple of things in between, but then you land the role that I think most people now recognize you from—the role of James Nava on Shades of Blue, playing uh, the love interest for Jennifer Lopez. Nice job if you can get it, isn't it, Ben? <laughs> Except you didn't look as miserable as Ben looked. It's
1: strange. <laughs> I've only heard about no. this. I don't know about it. But, yeah, um, I was up for two different roles for Shades of Blue. I was up for um, uh, the role that Hampton Fluker ended up playing, which was uh, Tufo, and... Um, and when I, it was originally what I went in for was one of the cops, one of the members of the team. And I remember it was this, it was this like really long room. It was narrow, but long. And like when you first walk in, Jen was sitting in the first three seats and then the rest of the network and studio, you know, they were just all along that way. So it was a really weird view because they wanted you to, like, I had a chemistry test with Jen. But they're all looking at this profile for the most part, I guess. And then there was a camera, so that's where I had to be. But uh, first, I first I was reading for the Tufo role, and um, then I would go back out and then I would read for Nava. So I remember um... <laughs> Jen kind of helped me out here for a moment in this uh, in this test. Um, it was a moment of I think generosity uh or kindness or something but I I said who am I reading with I walk in I say who am I reading with and the cat and for the first scene it was for the cat was with the casting director and she said and she said me and the camera's right next to her you know and it, like I said this is a very long narrow room and I'm like okay it right, sounds good so then I walk back to the door and I said I'm gonna step into this and I just do this turn and I was just like let me know when you're rolling and I'm not looking at him and i have to come in with like energy you know and and i take a few ste- and they're like okay we're rolling and i take a st- few steps and i can't find the casting director in this line of people and i'm like where the fuck are you and that's literally what comes <laughs> cuz I, I was in the character and i go where the fuck are you and she goes um right here <laughs> <laughs> And I go, oh, okay. I said, all right, my bad. Let's do that again. Um, so this is the first, the first take, and then, <laughs> then I go, just I go, can I just have a second? And and I'm standing there for a minute like this. And um, Jen goes, Jen's, Jen says something. She goes, you from Boston? And I go, Pittsburgh. And I'm just so pissed off at myself. I'm not even really like looking at her. and she's like, oh, she's like, some of the things you say, you sound like you might be from Boston. And I just go Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> and For some reason, everybody thought this was hilarious. And so like they all laugh in this moment and it broke the ice. And so suddenly I get out of my head. And I go. And I delivered a, a a solid audition for Tufo. And it went really well. And I go back out and I somehow I recovered in this audition. And I walk back out and I go in to do Nava. And Nava went great. Like it couldn't have went better. You know, there were some natural moments and everything like that. And I walked out and they said, yeah, w- he's got the role. And I remember we were like, Okay, well, which one? You know, the agent is like, which role? And they were like, Nava. He's, he's getting Nava. And uh, and that's how that happened. So that's the story of Nava. But initially, as grateful as I am for it, it wasn't the role that I wanted. I wanted the Tufo role. From an actor's standpoint, it was more interesting to me. The way I described Nava is it was like, I mean, he was the moral compass of the show. He was like probably... Yeah. The, the one character that wasn't like corrupted for the most part. Um, but he's there for her. He's there for her. You know, he's there to serve her story. Um, and that's his primary, that's his primary responsibility. So uh, for me, um, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of depth.
0: You were the arm candy.
1: i guess i'm sorry for sorry for the arm um
2: (laughs) this is where the fantastic uh uh, gino Pessi gifts start coming out from this show and there is a gift that is incredibly popular of jennifer lopez walking up the stairs with no pants on with just this long shirt And Gino's face, like, looking at her butt as she's going up the stairs. And that's a gif out there on the internet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll find find that one afterwards. I'm sure you will. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy.
2: But you know what? Yeah. The one thing that I am incredibly jealous of you for this show, especially... Is you get to work with Ray Liotta, the, the amazing Ray Liotta, uh, who we sadly lost last year. That I think every single person, it hit them all. I don't think people realized how much they loved Ray Liotta until they heard the passing of him. Yeah,
1: it was fun to watch him work at times. It was fun to listen to his off, off-color comments. Or, you know, because in this world where people are so politically correct these days, uh, I I don't subscribe to that. Um, no, doesn't and doesn't and, and he wasn't going to change his stripes, and I appreciated that. Uh, and he was in a position where he could, you know. Um, he could be really honest and not be worried about getting fired or anything like that. So... I appreciated all that about him. He did have a an affinity for theater too, and theater actors. I remembered that, and also there were just some fun moments of him on set, where you just never know because you have that. Do you, do you remember uh, what was that movie? Um, was it Unlawful Entry with Kurt Russell? Yeah, was it? yeah. Okay, he just had this gleam in his eyes where he just looked so scary, you know. But when you really get to know Ray, he's got a big, big heart. A big heart. And I wish I could have got to know him even better. Um, but there's this moment where everybody, like, toes this line when he's on set where they're like, which Ray are you going to get? And I remember he was doing this scene. <laughs> All right. Before, I, do you know anything about football? Solo a Tiquito. All right. yeah. I don't know if you're going to get this joke, but maybe some of your viewers will or what, or this reference. But so Ray is in this moment and he was like, he's like having this, you know, sometimes you just get this Ray where he's like, all right, well, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we going to do? All right. Are we doing a scene? And it's so like, you know, he's, he's in one of these Ray moments. And I'm just sitting back and watching this because, you know, you don't know what's going to come. And you have the background actors and they're trying to do their stuff and <laughs> – and they can't get this cross right okay and 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 they and they screw it up a couple times he's like all right and we're just waiting for him to lose it you know we're waiting for him like, <laughs> is he gonna lose his shit or what and all of a sudden they go again and this woman, this background actress this woman just smacks right into him and I mean hard and they just, both stop and it's like oh, and everybody just stops and we're like <laughs> what's going to happen and the and the background actor she just goes and just go, walks quietly off slow, doesn't say a word nobody says anything dr- dr- nobody yells cut nobody yells back to one everybody just quietly goes back to one and i'm just waiting i'm looking i'm like right, what's going to happen And he, and Ray goes, and all you hear the director goes, he goes, okay, we're going to go again. And Ray goes, when is Walter Payton crossing? And, and, (laughs) (laughs) And everybody just busts out laughing. And so there was this moment of like a minute of dead silence, not knowing what, and Ray just like broke the ice cuz you had <laughs> and it was a uh, it was it was one of my favorite Ray moments my other favorite Ray moment I'll have to tell you in private but it was on my last day of shooting Shades of Blue if something was unjust Ray wasn't afraid to like stand up for you and say how he felt and he didn't care care who heard it that's that's awesome
2: I look forward that's to cool. uh, sitting one day and really talking about that well as shades of blue come to an end uh, you're also in a show called ambitions starring uh, as Greg Peters yeah. <laughs> and a smile on your face says there's a story there.
1: <laughs> the story is, is, is just simply um, ambitions is almost like a nighttime soap uh, and something that I would never watch, but had such fun doing, if that makes any sense. Mm, yeah. Like, I actually loved this type of character and what I got to do on it, was really grateful for it. And uh Will Packer, he's hired me a couple times. He was actually a producer on Takers. Um and and Will produced um Ambitions as well. He was one of the producers on Ambitions. Um but I met some friends there that I'm still friends with today, you know. Um I'm still close with Essence Atkins and uh he, it was it was fun working with Robin Givens too on that. Her and I got literally close in our scenes uh, during Ambitions. But it was just a fun show to work on. I was, I, you know, it's one of those things like you never think you're going to do it, or like when you're a young actor and what you're aspiring to do. You're never like I want to I want to do a soap. Most people are never like I want to do a soap. I had so much fun. I had so much fun doing that. I really wish there was going to be a second season of it. And we thought there was going to be. Because for the OWN Network, they, it actually did well on their network. It was one of their better uh, rated shows. But they canceled it. And that it is what it is. But it was fun. It was fun. To be honest, you, you've now come kind of full circle.
2: You're now in Uvibol's comeback movie, first shift <laughs> that we, we've we heard about all month now. <laughs> yep. So, uh,
0: me probably uh, more than be you because gonna... I've just had to visit that episode. Yes. <laughs> yes,
1: you did. Yeah. I always like watching Uva or listening to Uva.
0: Yeah,
2: he's another guy who's not afraid to tell it how he sees it. Oh, thank you. Which is is always refreshing thankfully yeah so uh, we, we've got such an appreciation for uve because i never thought in a million years when i contacted him like well just come on we we want to know the real uve and to be honest so far it's broken all records in two days for our show he is That's actually awesome. the record holder for viewing and it's still going Still it's awesome. incredible but yes yeah. first shift how did this project land on your desk And, uh, tell us what you count about it.
1: Uh, sure. Uh, well, I actually ended up coming across, coming across it in an unorthodox fashion. Uh, you know, a lots changing in this business. And I started thinking, I got to find other ways to like, I'm like, there are parts of me that are sort of becoming that young kid again, that is like, I just want to do shit. I just want to. I just want to work with passionate people. I want to work with people that want to not talk about doing things, but let's, let's get shit done. And so I said, well, what did I used to do in my early twenties? I didn't sit around and wait for my agent manager to get me work. I went out and found it and created it for myself. So you got to understand, I didn't start getting on. I haven't been on these sites in 20 years. And I started. I was like, "Is backstage still a thing? Is is this casting network still a thing?" So I started to just look to see what was out there and who was posting stuff. And I saw an Uva Bowl uh, film, and it was it was legitimate compensation. I was like, "This is a legitimate posting, and it's open to the you know anybody that has a subscription to this." So I just I reach out to him. Within 24 hours, he gets back to me. He says he wants to set up a Zoom. We set up a Zoom. We talk for a half an hour. And at the end of the half an hour, I said, well, I said, hey, man, it's been great talking to you. And I said, just let me know if you think you might want me for the role or whatever. Just, you know, give me a heads up. He goes, no, I want you. I want you to do it. (laughs) Okay. I said, let me know what you uh, when you want to shoot this. As if I'm like talking to my buddy, I go. Just let me know when you want to shoot this, and uh, what um, you know, what I can expect to earn on it, and uh, for so I can book out a certain amount of time and all that stuff. He goes, okay, yeah, no problem. So two days go by. He sends me a voice memo on Monday, and he goes go so I will pay you this and we do this and and these are the dates and blah 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 and how would that be? And and I said, sounds good man. Let's do it. It was as it's easy like
0: he's back. back with us. It really is.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just, so, so so there's a story there too. We got to dinner one night and I just can't help it. So when I tell stories most of the time like I'll just mimic everybody. Like I'll do you guys if I'm talking to somebody else, and you know nowadays That's people get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But nowadays people get offended because you're not allowed to do everybody's accent now. So, but I we're sitting there at dinner, and for the for the longest time I could I mean I'm horrible at German, uh, and I said to Uva I go you know. I'm having a really hard time. I'm trying to do an impression of you, but I'm having a really t- hard time doing your accent. And he goes, "Then don't do it." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, obviously, I should just not do it. So, no. yeah. But so yeah. that's how that's how it happened. And then, um, uh, you know, and then I made some suggestions about like, you know, maybe go after this person or that person. I tried to help out in any way I could to uh, um, uh, get it up and going and, but it was as easy as that. And I really wanted to, I really wanted to back him because especially in my conversations with him, completely different to everything I've ever read about him. And it just makes me wonder like how all this shit happens. And, how people jump on like a bandwagon of like I call it the I hate Uva bulb bandwagon um where it's just so easy he's just such an easy target and we've now created this target and if you don't like one thing he's done or one thing he's said or whatever then we're just going to trash everything and i have to think that part of it is because he's always gone against the hollywood mold or grain yes. he doesn't follow their model he does like he does him and he raises his own funding so he's been in a position for the most part when when you're funding your own movies you don't have to listen to anybody else because i don't like negotiations they're not fun and i don't like the idea of trying to get one over on somebody why don't we just be both be really honest about what's fair and stop wasting Mm -hmm. each other's time well, UVA did that. It was the most painless negotiation I've ever had in my entire life. But I will tell you, I'll use an example, like for when I was a series regular on Shades of Blue. You know, there was all this press and I did some magazines and I did some articles and they were asking, what's it like, you know, what's it like to finally do this? And what's it like, you know, to achieve, achieve this level? And I go, well... It's like going the distance with a heavyweight boxer, getting the living shit kicked out of you, and then having them pick you up off the mat, giving you a massage afterwards, and then wanting you to tell them thank you. Yeah. And I said, what it feels like is that I've earned it. That's what it feels like. Mm. And I know that's not the answer everybody wanted, but I did. I, didn't, I, was ne- I was never an overnight success. I, I don't come from a Hollywood family. I don't come from Hollywood connections. I worked for everything that I earned. Sure, I had help along the way because life's a team sport. We're in this together. We need each other. Everybody gets a little bit of help here and there. That's what it felt like. It felt like I got the living shit kicked out of me and now you want me to kiss your ass. That's what it felt like. So, felt like I earned it, and so I have a shit ton of respect for Uva Bull for being who he is. He and I don't agree on everything, but we could sit down at a dinner table, and if I disagree with him, I say Uva, I think this, and he'll listen. He'll at least hear me out, and sometimes he might change his mind, and sometimes. He might stick to his guns. But he'll at least sit there and have a conversation with me. He won't cast me off and say, ah, to hell with you. You know, you don't kiss my ass. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for Uba.
2: Yeah, I think totally. for us, when we did the episode with Uwe, it was very eye-opening. And not just for us, I think for a lot of people. And that was the, the platform that we really wanted to give him to say, look, you know, people will just have you on because they think you're, you know, crazy Uwe Ball, you know, the, the renegade filmmaker and the guy who beats up his critics. And I knew there was something more there. And I knew that it was like, I don't think anyone has actually asked you your version of events and give it to you. And he came across so well on that interview, it was, and he's so articulate with it as well, even though English is not his first language, and he does mess up the odd word here and there, as I'm sure Steve has picked up in the edit. But he's his confidence is born from the fact that he knows what he's doing, and and he is uh, adaptable to it. Now, you know we're talking about Uwe Bowl on your episode, but, you know...
0: Steve we talked about you anyway. on his, so meh, anyway. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. So that's a bit fair. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm I'm really supportive of his comeback in First Shift, because you know, he's he sold it pretty well. I'm looking
0: forward to seeing that first trailer. Well, with that in mind, have you got anything else lurking in the pipeline that we can touch on?
1: Um, I'm recurring on a show right now, but I'm not allowed to say anything about it. It's So, but but I will tell you about it as soon as I can. I'm literally not allowed to tell you what it is or what I'm doing, and but I do have something coming up. Coming up,
0: okay. Well, you didn't hear about it first from here,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but we're as soon as we're allowed to, we will sing the praises, and hopefully by. Episode one hundred, where I'm hoping you're going to join us for our uh, next quiz episode.
1: I'd love to. I feel bad that I rambled so often. It's like I just never know how much I should talk yeah. or not talk
2: or what. Oh, you know? don't worry, you haven't broke the record. We'll put it away. No, that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> you need another four hours to get to that. But um, no, uh, Gino, absolute pleasure having you on the show here this week. You are welcome here. Absolutely anytime you just want to drop by. Uh, with updates on anything keep us in the loop and uh we definitely want to see you again
1: uh thank you i'd love to be back thanks for both of you for having me on and uh yeah just let me know and steve you're a beautiful beautiful man beautiful man so i appreciate you letting me uh you know thank you man give you give you a few jabs but uh you guys are fun you're both fun andrew in a short period of time i've just really enjoyed uh talking to you, enjoyed reading your work um, so I look forward to more look forward to knowing you both better
0: Right, and uh, if you want to talk to us about anything that you've seen in this episode or about any of the other episodes that we've done, including all the movies that we talk about on our regular episodes with just me and Andy, then you can do that at the links below, you can get in touch with us on facebook.com forward slash body you can hit us up on the poddywood twitter you can get us on r slash poddywood on reddit or you can check us out on linkedin um or maybe you could i don't know check out some other form of communication that hasn't quite been invented yet because it's still lurking far off in the distant future ai hasn't quite worked it out yet but
2: more importantly
0: we need some subscribers Mm -hmm. our subscriber
2: count is growing the only way you're going to find out when an episode drops is if you subscribe to YouTube, which is where all the episodes obviously come from. Click that bell.
0: And not only that, we also have our Patreon, Steve. Yes, we do. Uh, forgot and forgot about No, it's just that you usually do the Patreon, but okay, I'll do it in this instance. Um, If you want to support us on Patreon, and God loves you, it only costs you the price of a cup of coffee a month, then you can do so by hopping onto the address on screen right now. It should be patreon.com forward slash poddywood, where you can get audio versions of these episodes a few days earlier, as well as a few little nuggets that we throw out here and there.
2: Yes, the exclusives. Poddywood After Dark will return. We will get to do those shows again, exclusive yeah. to the Patreon. Wait a minute, uh, You're that editing sounds, that one.
1: That sounds that sounds like some red shoe diaries shit. What's what's going on? Oh. It's
2: set in a luxurious jazz bar setting. <laughs> there is there is music, there is drinks. It's purely nice. audio, but we just get to talk randomly off the cuff about all different types of stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Do I get invited to that?
0: Sure. Oh yeah. You you oh, can yeah. you can be our new guest bartender. <laughs> yes. Uh our bartender's
2: name changes every single episode for the main reason that Steve cannot remember what the bartender's no. name is every episode. But yes, we we have a jazz bar in the background. Yeah. And you know, it's fun. It's, it's fun. And sign up to Patreon. You can listen to those episodes if you wish. And we will have more coming on. Yes. Uh when we can find the time to and, and Steve finally gets some rest.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, but for now, though, it has been once again a great big thank you to our guest, Gino Anthony Pezzi. Yep, that's him.
1: Yep. <laughs> oh, you want me to say something? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's fine. I'll just use, use the same response. <laughs> and so it's a goodbye from me. And I'll catch you next week also. Bye.
2: By the way, I've got to throw out to Ellen. She won the best voiceover award at the uh, the awards thing in Canada. So I said I'd throw that out today.